Well, uh, it is really good to be with you today, and thank you for uh, your uh, welcome. Um, we're, if you keep Ephesians 2 open, we're going to be uh, looking at that, particularly looking at verse 10, is the text that we're going to be uh, looking at together this morning. I, I love the theme, uh, the series that you've been in, as far as I've been able to uh, get the gist of it without being here. Um, the, the topics and ideas that you're exploring over these weeks, uh, they're really good as they, as they give a sense of um, God's amazing work and all that he's doing across time and through history and your part in it, the question of how you and I fit in in that reality in our daily lives. And, and it is simultaneously humbling and empowering to understand that God has both a plan and a purpose for, for all the time, all of history, for this universe, and that we get to play some part in that. That is an amazing thing, isn't it? It's humbling because we, we realize that when we see the big plan, it is so not about us. You know, it, it's not, it's all about me, Jesus, and my glory and my fame. I don't know if you've kind of seen that spoof uh, online of that song. It's all about you, Jesus, and your glory and your fame. Uh, it's always been about you through history and eternity, the triune God, the big story of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together, all that they're doing as they love one another through eternity, the divine dance, as some have called it. It's not about us, but we get to play our part in this story. As tiny as our lives are in one sense, as followers of Jesus, our stories find their place in this bigger story, which gives us real uh, significance and a real um, uh, empowering and uplifting. And in today's reading, uh, we see this unfold because one of the ways, it says, that God shows his incomparable grace, that's in verse 7, is as he declares us to be, verse 10, his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Again, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And we're going to just think about the two halves of that verse this morning. We're going to keep it simple. We are God's handiwork, number one. And we're created to do good works, prepared in advance. We are God's handiwork. That is such an amazing statement, isn't it? It is so affirming and encouraging. You could usefully spend uh, a bit of time this afternoon, this can be your homework, in your favorite armchair or in your garden, or wherever you might like to sit, and just chew on that, and turn it around in your mind. We are God's handiwork. We are, when we're given spiritual life, when we're given uh, this new life, we're, we're made alive again, brought from death to life, as we are loved and chosen uh, by God, as I think you were thinking about last week, as we come alive by grace through faith in verse 8 and 9, we then begin a journey into the fullness of all that God created us to be. And in this new reality, we are described here in, the verse, uh, in verse 10 by the Greek word poema. Poema. Now, that word probably reminds you of something, doesn't it? All right. Poema. Poem. Now, it, it's where the English word comes from. It means more than that. 
But it is where the, the word comes from, because the idea of the word poema is of something being made, something being crafted, uh, designed. And so different translations, depending what you read, have this as handiwork, or workmanship, or masterpiece, or something like that. Something being made by God as the master maker, the craftsman. So it is like an artist painting a beautiful work of art, or a craftsman shaping or modeling something out of uh, wood or stone, or a potter with the clay, or a poet crafting a novel, a composer with a song. You can, you can think of all different ways to express it, making something that is just perfect. God is making us, he is crafting us in Christ Jesus through our union with him, through the connection, through that deep connection that we have with Jesus Christ as followers, he is making us into something amazing that he will work through. C.S. Lewis uh, said, we are, not metaphorically, but in very truth, a divine work of art. Tim Keller says, do you know what it means that you are God's workmanship? He says, what is art? Art is beautiful. Art is valuable. Art is an expression of the inner being of the maker, the artist. So imagine what that means. You're beautiful. You're valuable. You're an expression of the very inner being of the artist, the divine artist, God himself. And he goes on to say how uh, when, when Jesus gave himself on the cross, he didn't just say, oh, I'm going to die for you so that you know I love you. And he didn't even uh, just go to the cross to say, I'm going to die for you so that you can be forgiven. As crucial as that is, it doesn't go far enough. He is going to the cross for us, and he's bleeding and dying for us so that we can become something splendid, something beautiful, something magnificent, so that we can be transformed into the masterpiece that we were always intended to be. And this is... I think such an amazing idea. We kind of need to just let that settle in our minds, don't we? That, that God is uh, designing and crafting you. Yes, you, not just the person next to you or somebody else across the room, but you into something amazing that he will work through. As we follow Jesus, as the Spirit lives in us, as the Father's love fills us, we are being shaped Michelangelo was once asked what he was doing as he was chipping away at a big lump of shapeless rock. And he said, I am liberating an angel from this rock. I'm not sure we could all do that, but anyway, he could liberate an angel from this rock. And, and, and in terms of us being God's masterpiece, I want you to know this morning that this is something that is true, whether you feel it or not. It is true. Because I think some of us may have real trouble believing that and taking that on board. We might see ourselves as anything but a masterpiece of God, anything but a poem of his splendor, anything but a work of art. We might feel inadequate and unworthy. And of course, there is a sense in which it's true we are inadequate and unworthy before God, and yet at the same time, simultaneously, we are his workmanship. Both of these things are true. I mean, we're not the finished product yet, are we? That's the thing. We're still a work in progress, and we're, and we're limited in many ways. And that's one of the things we become very conscious of, our limitations. There are many limitations in our lives. Some are just brought about by the circumstances we're in. Some are tragic circumstances. 
Many of you uh, will know the story of Johnny Erickson, um, and you can Google her if you've never heard of her before, but she was uh, an active, sporty teenager. But as a 17-year-old, she dived into Chesapeake Bay in the US, not realizing it was much shallower than she thought. She hit the bottom, she fractured some vertebrae, and has been in a wheelchair ever since, more than 50 years ago now. She's in her 70s. And Johnny Erickson, paralyzed from the shoulders down, has managed to, well, to live a quite remarkable life in, in many ways. But on this issue, she describes herself in a book that she wrote as God's poema. She owns that and, and believes that. She says, God has a plan, a purpose for my time on earth. He is the master artist and the sculptor. He's the one who chooses the tools he will use to perfect his workmanship. But what of suffering, then, she asks. What of disability? Well, she simply muses, am I to tell him which tools he can and can't use in the lifelong task of perfecting me and molding me into the beautiful image of Jesus? He's the master. He's the artist. He knows what he's doing. She trusts him. And sometimes there are limitations that are brought about by circumstances in our lives, by suffering, but also, it's true to say, isn't it, sometimes by our own failings and sin and our bad choices. And I do wonder if that would be something that would stop a number of us really embracing this poema, truth, this morning. That you might want to sit there and say, look, you, just, you don't know some of the stuff I've done. You don't know how I am. And you, and you might sit there feeling quite rubbish in some ways. But does the sin in our lives and the times that we trip up mean that we're just going to be thrown aside? No. It just means that we have to comprehend that this all-powerful God has given himself an even greater challenge. He is powerful enough. He is powerful enough to work even through and despite those things. This artist is very, very skilled. You know, there was a meme going around online not so long ago which said something like, when God put a calling on your life, he already factored in your stupidity. <laughs> and underneath they wrote, that's the most encouraging thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and I think we get that, don't we? You know, don't ever think that you cannot live and serve and be used by God or that he's somehow limited in his ability to use you or that your mistakes or your weaknesses or your sin make you somehow an exception to the idea of being God's handiwork. You are his art. That's not the same thing as saying, we can be anything we want. You know, sometimes people say that, don't they? And uh, you can be whatever you want if you put your mind to it. And I, well, you know, I think that leads to disillusionment often. I don't think that's a very helpful thing to say. I, I get that it's used sometimes to motivate and encourage people, often uh, kids in school. But it's not really right, is it? I can't be anything that I want. All kinds of things affect what I can and can't do, our place and time in history, our upbringing, our education, whatever it was like, different opportunities we have, abilities. It can put a cruel and crushing burden on people to say that you can be whatever you want. But here's the freeing thing. You can be exactly the wonderful work of art that God has planned that you will be. You can be exactly that work of art. Because your life is not an accident. And he's even factored in all the realities of our journey and our struggles. And he works through them and even designs them at times. 
and he is using all of those things to make you into his workmanship. There's a, a quirky little book uh, by a guy called N.D. Wilson that's called Death by Living um, that I uh, was reading uh, a while ago. And, and some of the stuff today echoes, I think, some of the, what I was reading there. And one of the things he says is this that I think is so helpful. He says, understand, we are both tiny and massive. We are nothing more than molded clay given breath and nothing less than divine self-portraits huffing and puffing along mountain ranges of epic narrative arcs prepared for us by the infinite word himself. Swell with pride and gratitude, for you are tiny and given much. And one of the things he talks about in, in the book, he talks about how our lives are like books and how we, we live in the present moment, in the present chapter. But what's important to remember is that there are chapters before as well as chapters to come. And so he says, you know, you need to see your life as the fruit of providence and a thousand personal narratives. We need to think about the question, what led to me today? What led to this point in our stories? So we can think, can't we? Where did we grow up? Your education, good or bad, whatever it was like. Your family, your culture, the jobs you've had, your struggles, temptations. Your personality, how you're wired. Mistakes, failures, joys, successes, all of those things, they are all relevant in making you who you are today. And not everything in those chapters is as we would have wished it, but they are all things that make us unique. You are all unique, aren't you? We all are, because there is no one else like you. Even if you're an identical twin, you are unique. And so as we start to sort of tip into the second half of the verse, we want to ask, what has God put you in a position to be able to do in this unfolding drama of his kingdom through time? As the chapters of your life have led to this point, what have they positioned you to do now and in the next chapter and the next? And, and don't say, you know, well, if I was somebody else, I'd do this. Or if I was better at that, I would do that. Sometimes some of us wish we were like somebody else, don't we? You think if I was like them, it would be easy. Actually, if you knew them, probably it wouldn't be. We think I'd be so effective, you know, if I had her gifts. But the truth is, even those we might think of as great examples in the Christian life, nobody's got everything. I mean, that's the whole image of the body, isn't it? That's a different chapter, that's a different talk, but we're a body. Nobody has everything. And we're a mix of all kinds of gifts and limitations. And you know, let's just take even the example of the Apostle Paul who wrote this, who wrote this letter we're reading this morning. I mean, think about the chapters of his life that led up to the point here. I mean, he was trained in the Old Testament by one of the greatest experts of the day, which was something God really used, wasn't it, as he became that sort of the great theologian in thinking through how does this uh, relate uh, in the New Covenant to the Old Covenant. I mean, that was really significant. He was also single, which in that culture like ours, people kind of see as pros and cons. Sometimes people think there's lots of dis <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> disadvantages. My throat just tightened. Paul learned, <clears throat> obviously shouting too much, 
God's telling me to be a little bit quieter. Um, but, there were, but Paul came to see that there were also advantages to being single. There were certain things that he could do. That was part of the reality of his life and how he then lived. He was also a man who was deeply humbled by what um, had happened earlier on in his life when he'd been involved in uh, the killing of early, the early Christians in the early church. Remember, he was standing by, wasn't he, when Stephen was martyred. That was something that sat very heavily on Paul. He never forgot that. He talks about the thorn in his side. It seems he had weak eyesight. He talks about being an unimpressive speaker. Paul didn't have it all. He was also a Roman citizen by dint of birth. You really can't control that, can you? And yet that was something that at certain points in his life he was able to use. So all of these things just in the life of Paul meant he was uniquely served to a place to serve in particular ways. He could do some things, he couldn't do others, but he was equipped to serve in the way that God wanted. Andy Wilson, again, on this chapter's idea says, you stand in history with stories stretching out both behind and before. We should want to live our chapters well, but doing so requires that we know the chapters that led up to us in our time and our moment. It requires that we open our eyes and consciously shape those chapters that are coming after. And that's where the second half of, of our text, of verse 10, comes with great force and encouragement, doesn't it? That we are created to do good works which God prepared in advance. That statement is astonishing, isn't it? That there are good things, good works for us to do that were prepared in advance, which God wants you with your personality and your abilities, with your passions. God works through those things too, the things that are important to us. And your background, all the chapters that led up to this point, all your blessings and limitations and struggles and joys, there are things that God has for you to do in his great work in this world. And our finite minds, you know, we, we kind of struggle to grasp this, don't we? But we're talking about God. We're talking about his plan for all of human history. And, and all the different tasks and opportunities that he might have in mind for you, you've been designed and shaped to fulfill them. And, and that, is, that is encouraging. It's mind-boggling, but it is encouraging. Was there an old song? I think I can remember my grandma singing, There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. I can't remember anymore. If you can remember it, you can tell me afterwards. But the great thing is, and this is important, that we do these good works... We do them not to be accepted by God, because we already are. It's not a test. It's not a performance. We don't do these things for, to get marks out of 10 with the judges holding up the scorecards. We do it because we are already accepted, because it's a reality of the life that we've been given. I was talking about this with, uh, in a conversation with a Muslim friend of mine some time back. and uh, Well, he's moved away now, but we were talking about living in this world, um, and we were talking about some local issues around the area where we live. And we were discussing just how it is important to be seeking to do the right thing and do good things uh, in the community. And I said, well, of course, although we agree that we should live in this way, there is a big difference, isn't there? I said, because you understand good works to be something you do to be accepted by God. Whereas we seek to do good works because we are accepted by God. And it's switched completely the other way around. Grace 
is what that is, isn't it? There's the verses leading up to verse 10. Grace in our lives, we are accepted, therefore we do good works. He said, I have never heard that before. We need to talk about that some more. And then he emigrated. So you could pray that maybe I see him again one of these days, and we do get to talk some more about that. But that is a huge uh, thing, and it, make, it marks out the Christian faith as different from all other faiths. We're not doing these good works uh, in order to be accepted by God. We stand securely knowing we are. And then we live out of that uh, and, uh, in freedom itself, being able to live that out, knowing that God has created me and I am free and I will now live the things that he wants me to do, that he's prepared for me to do. There are things he is shaping and molding you and me for that we are uniquely equipped to do in this time, in this place, in this moment, with these people, whoever it might be that your life intersects with. So back again to the idea isn't it, of understanding that this is both humbling and empowering. Whatever your situation, looking ahead is not just some kind of depressing reality of, you know, especially as you get into middle age and older age, and just thinking, well, we're just kind of spinning out time now until we kick the bucket. That's not what it's about. You know, Jeremy Clarkson um, wrote an article in the Times a few weeks back where he was addressing what for him is a sobering reality that he now, know, uh, he, he now uh, has lived longer than his father, and also longer than a number of his friends did. And although he's currently fit and healthy, he is frankly scared of death. And believing as he does that there's nothing afterwards, he more or less comes to the conclusion that you just need to enjoy what you can, get out, appreciate nature a little bit, find some friends, and, you know, there's actually some quite good advice in one sense in there about living life, but really it was just a slow wind down to the inevitable end, with no purpose or greater sense of reality. But there is so much more. So the question is this, what are we going to do? We can live with confidence saying that the time that we have, the days we have, the life that we've lived to this point, the situation we're in, is by design and God has stuff for us to do that plays a part in the much bigger reality that goes on even beyond our deaths. And of course we participate in that too, don't we, in eternity. So what are we going to do? Sometimes that can be a, a, quite a paralyzing question. What am I going to do? It's not supposed to be paralyzing, but I think sometimes it can be, can't it? Especially if um, you, you think it, that God has specific things for me to do. And, and you stand there thinking, well, I need a note. I need a memo. How, what if I miss it? Now, of course, sometimes God may need to speak and intervene in dramatic uh, ways in order to shift us onto a particular track or particularly if it's to move us into something quite different. But, you know, in terms of living this out, most days we can know what it looks like. Most days it's about getting up and living with his strength, doing the things he set in front of you, loving the people in front of you, using the, the money, the time, the influence, the abilities, the gifts he's given you, and knowing that that contributes to the bigger picture. And I think that's something that's going to come out in future weeks in this series, isn't it? Just living your everyday life in the place that God has put you, but being deliberate about living it for him. Not selfishly, but for him. Loving and serving and giving yourself for him and for others. It affects your attitude to how you live each day, 
to the people you meet, to the people who your life intersects with. You know, you're the only one whose life intersects with that exact group of people that you know. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but only your life intersects with that exact group. I think that affects how I see, even in things like interruptions, rather than just an annoyance. Maybe they're an opportunity. What has God equipped me to do? There's a book by Eric Ries uh, called Shape. And one of the ways he tries to help us think about things like this is to use shape as an acrostic, S-H-A-P-E. Just for a moment there, I couldn't remember how to spell shape. S-H-A-P-E. And as an acrostic, he says, think about your spiritual gifts, S. Think about H, your heart, your passions, What's important to you? A, your abilities, things you're naturally good at. P, your personality. And E, your experiences. And those things are a really useful framework. And maybe there's something you can talk about if you talk about these things in small groups uh, over the weeks, about how you can think about what you have been equipped for and what you're wired for. I mean, maybe because of who you are, God wants you to do something new. Maybe he wants you to do something different. Maybe there's a seed being sown today for some of you that there's something or somewhere completely new that you need to look at and go to moving forward. And the expanding, the scattering kingdom of God always needs that. But hear me rightly, it's not just the people who go and live in a new place or work in another culture or who are paid Christian workers who are part of this. When you scatter across Luton this week, you are part of this. When you go to the office tomorrow, you're part of this. In the classroom or working at home or out for coffee with friends, you are part of this. When you're talking to your neighbor or to a relative or a friend that you're caring for or interacting with with, with that stranger that you bump into, you are part of this. There are works that God has prepared for you to do because you are his handiwork and he has crafted your life and your situation specifically so that you are able to do them. You get that? There are works that God's prepared for you to do because you're his handiwork and he's crafted you and your life and everything that's gone before so that you can do them. One more quote as we close. Clear your throat and open your eyes. You're on the stage. The lights are on. It's only natural if you're sweating, because this isn't make-believe. This is theater for keeps. Yes, it's a massive stage, and there are millions of others on the stage with you. And yes, you can try and shake the fright by blending in, but it won't work. You have the Creator God's full attention, as much attention as he ever gave Napoleon or Churchill or even Moses, billions of others who lived and died worldwide, or a grain of sand or a spike on a snowflake. You are spoken. You are seen. It is your turn to participate in creation. Like a kindergartner shoved from behind the curtain during their first play, you might not know which scene you're in or what comes next, but God is far less patronizing than we are.
You are his art, and he has no trouble stooping. You can even ask him for your lines. Isn't that great? As we hesitate and stutter in the moment sometimes, and the lights are on, we can ask for a prompt. We can even ask for our lines. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that as we stand on the, the platform of this life, of history, of the world that you've created, that we can have confidence that we are not here by accident, and we are not who we are by accident. And Lord, we pray that you'd help that truth to go deep into our hearts. Help us to know and understand that all that makes us us is not a, a terrible accident or something to be regretted or something to wish away and wish we were somebody else. Lord, you've designed us. You've created us. And you are recreating us. You are making us into your poema. Thank you that that is true. Thank you that as we go forward into the next chapter of our lives, and as we, well, even before that, as we live in the present chapter, that we can do so knowing that you are working through us and in us, and that the situations that we find ourselves in each day are situations where we can live for you and play our part in your great and glorious mission into this world. Lord, thank you that it's not just about the professionals. It's not just about people who are paid. It's not just about those who've traveled to other cultures. You are working through each of us in the daily grind of whatever it is we do amongst the people that you've placed us amongst. Help us, Lord, to therefore live conscious of that and to live deliberately and to do it for your glory. Lord, help us to do it with love for others, love for you. And Lord, take what we have, take all we are, and use it for your glory and for our good and the good of this world and the good of this community, for your great name's sake. Amen. <clears throat>